Right, so when transactions are recorded in the day book, the next thing we do is that they are then transferred and classified into ledgers. So we collect the information from source documents, we record them in day books, and then the third thing is that we classify. Classification of financial information occurs or yes, occurs in ledgers. In ledgers. So we classify transactions in ledgers. So what is a ledger? A ledger can be defined as a principal book of accounts into which all other accounts are kept. So a ledger is a principal book of accounts into which all other accounts are kept. Now when it comes to ledger or ledgers, some authors have a different uh, definition or uh, not definition rather uh, categorization of what ledgers should be. Now, one of these classifications of what the ledgers should be is personal ledger, impersonal ledger, and then private ledger. Other authors also have what we call personal ledger and impersonal ledger. So, wherever you stand or wherever you read from, they are all correct because they are all the same. But for the purpose of what I want to do here, classification of ledgers, we have what we call the personal ledger and then the impersonal ledger. Now, so... What is a personal ledger? Now, a personal ledger is simply a ledger which keeps records or accounts of personal transactions. Now, in accounting, when we use the word personal, it means individuals as well as businesses. As you will be doing later on, there is an accounting concept in accounting referred to as the business entity concept. Now, the business entity concept states that uh, um, a business must be seen as a separate legal entity from its owners, that it can own assets in its own name, it can sue and be sued. In other words, the business is seen as an artificial human being with all the rights of human being, with the exception of voting. <laughs> so the company cannot vote, but it has all the rights of a human being, it can own assets, it can sue people and it can be sued. So that business, it's an artificial person. So when we talk about personal ledgers, it's simply the ledgers that relates to businesses and individuals. Then the impersonal ledgers are simply transactions that are not uh, relating to individuals or, uh, or, or companies. So based on that, under the personal ledger, we have two other ledgers under the personal ledger. We have what we refer to or what we call the sales or debtors or trade receivables ledger and then we have the purchases or creditors or trade payables ledger now these are all the same okay Sales ledger is the same as debtors ledger is the same as trade receivables ledger. In other words, when you buy goods from me on credit, I can call you trade receivables. And you can call me trade payables. It's the same thing as debtors, creditors, purchases, and sales. So, as you know already from the day books, the sales, debt, uh, the sales or debtors or trade receivables ledger will record the accounts of all sales made on credit so when you go to the sales day book proper 
I didn't give it a pro forma of that, but let me just put it down. So let's just do an extract. So we have a date here. We just have details here. The details should be quite bigger. Then we have an invoice here. And we may have an amount here. So this is a sales day book. Maybe let's say today is 1st December 2018. And then let's say the details is that we you buy goods from me. So let's say you are uh, a notchy. So sold goods we write sold. Maybe we uh, we sell laptops. Okay, so sold laptop sold maybe hundred laptops to a notchy, and the, all the hundred at maybe let's say ten dollars per. So the invoice would be one thousand. But then I gave you a discount, okay? So we're gonna put a discount here of 10%. So 100 will be subtracted, then we take the amount. So you are actually owing me 900. Then let's say another customer comes on that same day, uh, or another day, let's say 5th December 2018, and that customer's name is uh, Okonfo. And that customer also buys some mobile phones, so sold mobile phones, whatever it is, and we get the figure. At the end of the day, all the sales of credit will be recorded in the sales day book. So we'll have for different, different customers, and we'll transfer it to their individual accounts. But at the end of the year, we would want to find out how much money is outstanding? So we will prepare what we call what? the sales ledger, which will bring all our debtors into one book of account, into one bigger book. Because if you look at the definition that we said is a ledger, we said it's a principal book of account. Principal, the head of all the books. So all the information about our debtors will be found in one single book, one single account called the sales or the debtors or the trade receivables ledgers. The same thing happens to the purchases or the creditors ledgers. So the first thing is the sales ledger. So let's look at a pro forma of the sales ledger. So we call it the sales ledger control now traditionally traditionally as I mentioned earlier when you buy goods from me on credit you are my data I am your creditor if you are my data you keep debit balance as such debtors always keep a debit balance however there are times when a data will keep a credit balance when a debtor keeps or has a credit balance, it means that you owe the debtor. In other words, if you buy goods $5,000 from me, but when you were paying me, you paid me $7,000 because you said the $2,000, you'll come and use it to buy something else in the future. Then now, even though you are my debtor, you now have a credit balance in my book, so I now owe you $2,000. So, principally, 
the sales ledger control account is supposed to keep a debit balance but there are times when a debtor may keep what a credit balance so we bring the opening balances so balance brought forward will be bought now the debtor has a debit balance so anything that increases the debtor's amount is written on the debit side anything that decreases the debtor's amount is brought on the credit side as simple as that so when you buy goods from me I debit your account when you give me money I credit your account when you buy goods again I debit when you uh, 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 pay I credit if you don't pay me the money and uh, there is a penalty and I charge interest on debt overdue, it will increase how much you are owing me, so I still have to debit your account. So anything that increases the debtor's figure comes to the debit side. And anything that reduces the debtor's figure comes to the credit side. So what are some of the things that increases and what are some of the things that reduces? So the, the thing we will bring on the debit side will be called credit sales, traditionally. As I mentioned, so when you buy goods from me on credit, boom, I need to record it there. Then this earned check. Now you gave me a check for an amount you are owing me. When you give me a check, I'm going to put it to the credit side. So when you give me a cash, so cash receipt, check received. I'm going to credit your account. Now, if you give me a check and I go to the bank and the check bounces, I go to the bank and the bank say, hey, you are not having any money in your account or for some reasons the check was not signed or the check was not properly signed. The figure is different from the amount. The date on it is not yet. So whatever it is, there are a lot of reasons why a, a check may be dishonored, right? So if for any reason the check is dishonored, that means you still owe me. So I need to cancel out what I credited. So I receive it, I credit your account to reduce how much you are owing me. But I went to the bank and the bank said, no way, they cannot give me the money. Boom. I have to come and debit it back so that it cancels out whatever I have received so that you still owe me how much money that you owe me. So this other check are going to be there. Then interest on debt overdue. That's what I was saying that you owe me, you're supposed to pay me on 15th December. It's 15 December, you've not paid me, but we agreed that if after 15 December you've not paid me how much you owe me, then I'm going to charge you an interest of 10% in addition for every day that the money takes. So as the money or as the debt still stands or as the debt still remains, I'm going to be charging you the interest and it will increase how much you me and so that is what refers to as interest on debt overdue then other items that we can bring on the credit side includes discount allowed okay so if I give you any discounts it will reduce how much you owe me so we bring it on the credit side then bad debt written off 
Now, that was bad debt written up simply. We will do provision for bad debt later on. It's a topic on its own. But bad debt written off, it's simply where we realize that the customer will be incapable of paying us how much they owe us because the person is bankrupt or the person is incapable of paying us. So bad debt written off. So let's say you are owing me uh, $5,000 and I realize that you are struggling in your business or for some reason you, are, you have declared you've been declared bankrupt or whatsoever, then I will write off the debt thinking you won't pay me any longer and I'll write it off in my books. But I, do, I will not tell you that I've written off the debt. So this is just for my books, right? So bad I written off is credited. However, if after I've written off the debt, then six months later, I realize that you are actually riding in a car. You are actually living a comfortable life. You are actually having fun, going to have seen you that, oh, as we say in Ghana, your money has come, then the debt I have written off, I would reinstate it and call it bad debt written off, recovered. <laughs> bad debt written off, recovered. Boom. I'll reinstate it that, hey, you owe me. Then I'll come to you and say, hey, 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 hey. you owe me. So come and what? pay me the money. So, bad debt written off is on the credit side, but if later on we recover that bad debt and realize that the person is now in a better position and can pay us, then we reinstate the person's debt. Then, returns. Okay, sales returns or returns inwards will reduce how much money that uh, we need to pay in relation to that. Then there is what we call bill receivable. Now this is like a bill, uh, a negotiable instrument, and you do that in uh, business law. Negotiable instrument, like bill receivable, it's like a document that you signed to say that I'm going to pay insurer premium five thousand dollars on twenty fourth December two thousand and eighteen. You sign, I sign, right? So that bill receivable, I can take it to a discounting house and they can give me the money and wait for 24th and come and take the money from you. So it's more or less like you've declared that you've paid me the money. But if that bill receivable is dishonored, just like the check, so bill receivable dishonored, I need to reinstate it, okay? So bill receivable dishonored, I need to reinstate it in the <coughs> books. So these are some of the things that we can bring in relation to that. So cash receive, check receive, discount allowed, bill receivable, bad debt written off, sales returns, all of these can be brought there. So at the end of the period, it's a ledger, so we need to balance the accounts. So we balance the account. And usually, as it had two opening balances, it's going to also be having two closing balances. All other things being equal. So balance carry down will be here. And we'll look at all these later on, so don't worry. Balance brought down will be here. Balance carry down will be here. 
So this is how we prepare the sales ledger control account. Now, if you look at this, I did not bring cash sales. I did not bring provision for bad debts. So cash sales and provision for bad debts are not supposed to be recorded in the sales ledger control account because why will you record cash sales here? But in the exam hall, as part of the transactions, the examiner may bring it. He will bring cash sales there. So if you don't know and you bring it because you heard sales, you come and put it on the debit side, then you're going to get it wrong. So cash sales, because the ledger sales ledger is about credit sales. It's about our customers, sales that we've made on credit. This is their book. This is their document. All right? So cash sales is not supposed to be entered. Provision for bad debt is not supposed to be entered. It is only the bad debt that has actually been written off that we bring and not a provision that we have made for the bad debt. So that is what you have to understand about the first ledger, the sales or the debtors or the trade receivables control account. So let's look at the second one in relation to the purchases ledger control account. the trade payables control account. So the flip side of the um, the flip side of the sales is the purchases. Okay? The flip side of the sales is the purchases. So when we say the flip side of the sales is the purchases, what do we mean? What we mean here is that in your book, you will be keeping purchases ledger control accounts because you buy goods. The people you, who you buy goods from on credit will record it. In my book also, the people that I buy from on credit, I record it here. So traditionally, the trade payables control accounts ledger control account keeps a credit balance why because if i buy from you on credit then certainly i'm supposed to owe you however sometimes a creditor may have a debit balance what does that mean it means the person you are supposed to owe now owes you okay it works the same way as the sales ledger control account so yes you, uh, uh, you are supposed to owe me, but I can owe you. So if you are overpay me, that, that means that I now owe, owe you. And so in your book, even though I'm supposed to keep a credit balance in your book, you are, even though you are supposed to keep a credit balance of me in your book, it will be a debit balance showing that I owe you and you don't owe me any longer. Why am I saying that? Because the trade repayable traditionally is supposed to keep a credit balance but sometimes can have a debit balance. 
as well. So some debtors, some creditors may keep credit balance, while some creditors may have a debit balance. Then, then, anything that increases how much we owe our creditors comes to the credit side. Anything that increases how much we owe our creditors. So when we buy more from them, we write it there. If we owe them and they charge us more interest, we bring it there. But anything that reduces how much we owe them, we write it on the debit side. So you could see that it's a flip side of the sales. It's the flip side of the sales. Now, there was an item that I was supposed to have brought on the uh, sales ledger control account. It's called set-off. It's called set-off. I will explain it here so that you will put it in your pro forma, okay? So, things that are supposed to be brought here, some of the things that we can bring on the credit side will include credit purchases, okay? Another thing will be interest on debt overdue. They will bring it there in relation to that. Then, on the debit side, check it will be cash paid. Maybe the check that we have paid to them. So check paid will be written there. Then, if there is any discount uh, received, we write it down. Then there is returns outwards. We put it down. Then, bill payable. So you realize that in debtors, we wrote bill receivable. This time around, we write what? Bill payable. So these are some of the things that we bring in relation to that. Now, if the check is dishonored, the same thing we did, okay? So, dishonored check, we pay the creditor and the check is dishonored. Then we have to be faithful to ourselves and what? re-enter the amount here. So check this other check from the creditor. Now this normally doesn't come in the creditor. Okay? It normally, it normally doesn't appear but there could be exceptional cases where the examiner brings it. Normally it appears only in the sales. Okay? Normally it appears only in the sales. But if it happens, you put it there. Then this earned bill payable. We will bring that there. Then I mentioned set off. Now, set off is where you owe me and I owe you. Okay? You buy from me and I buy from you. So, you buy laptops from me and I buy. What can I buy from you? Let's say I buy hmm, mobile phones from you. So, you sell mobile phones and I sell laptops. So, you buy mobile phones from me on credit. I also buy. You buy laptops from me on credit, and I buy mobile phone from you on credit. Now, during a period of time, we can decide that, okay, how much do you owe me, and how much do I owe you? Let's set it off so that the difference will be paid. So, when there is set-off, set-off always appears on the debit side of the payables control account. But it appears on the credit side of the 
sales ledger control account so please put it there okay i didn't put it in my pro forma so whilst you were writing go to the credit side of the sales ledger the first one we did the sales ledger and find somewhere and put it there that set off should come there so the same figure will be put on the debit side of the trade payables control account and also on the credit side of the sales ledger control account it is called set off so you owe me i owe you so you owe me five thousand dollars i owe you three thousand dollars so in that case technically you are supposed to pay me only two thousand dollars so we use the three thousand dollars to set off our accounts in our books so when we finish we balance the accounts so balance brought down sorry carry down balance brought down balance carry down balance brought down so that is it about the trade payables ledger control account right that's good right also as you can see in the trade payables control accounts I didn't bring anything like cash purchases here and there is nothing like provisions here so in a nutshell when you are preparing the sales ledger and the purchases ledger control accounts you will not bring cash sales cash purchases and anything like provisions they are not supposed to be entered anywhere in the sales ledger and then the purchases ledger control account very very important that you get that so that is how we look at the sales ledger control account so what do we say financial transactions are collected from source documents they are recorded in day books and they are classified in ledgers so we have the personal ledger under that we have the sales ledger we have the purchases ledger and then the third one which is the impersonal ledger is what we call the nominal ledger now the nominal ledger records all other transactions that are not recorded in the sales and the purchases so things such as discounts receive accounts nominal ledger discount allowed accounts nominal ledger sales accounts nominal ledger purchases accounts nominal ledger return inwards accounts nominal ledger return outwards accounts nominal ledger assets box on credit nominal ledger or asset account nominal ledger so all of those other transactions electricity exp all expenses nominal ledger so these are the three ledgers that you need to understand sales ledger purchases ledger and nominal ledger which is used to record all other transactions so that is the three thematic areas so far we collect from source documents we record in day books and we classify it in ledgers so after classification what do we do when we classify into the ledgers like this balance all the various accounts the next thing is to summarize so let's see how we summarize so the fourth thing is summarizing 
So when we collect from source documents, record in day books, classify in ledgers, then we summarize. So all the closing accounts, all the accounts in the various ledgers, it's summarized or are summarized into a single statement. This single statement is what refers to as the trial balance. Okay, the trial balance. So summarization of financial information occurs in the trial balance. Now, summarization can, the financial statement also, it's a summarization as well. But traditionally, we summarize in the trial balance. So what is a trial balance? The trial balance is simply a statement, all right, which records all the closing balances in the book of accounts at the end of the accounting period. All the closing balances. So when you balance all the accounts, the property, plans, and equipment, the inventory account, the debit, debtors account, the uh, capital accounts, the goodwill accounts, all the various accounts, when we close them up, bam, it comes to the trial balance. Now, uh, there are a lot of things simple. The problem of the trial balance, it's like this. So let's look at the trial balance. So we can have particulars here, then debit here, then credit. So particulars, debit, credit. Please note the following. All assets, expenses, okay, all assets, expenses, keep debit balance. So let me just break down a couple of them. So items such as property, plants, and equipment or tangible assets keeps a debit balance. Inventory is an asset or stocks keeps a debit balance. So we bring it on the debit side. Land and building if we want, even though it's part of property, plants, and equipment. We bring it there. Fixtures and fitting, furniture, all those things we brought on the debit side. Debtors on the debit side. Cash on the debit side. Okay? Bank balance on the debit side. But when there is bank overdraft, it's a liability. So that has a credit. Okay? So let me asterisk that. Bank overdraft is a liability. Why? Because you've redrawn more than how much you are supposed to have redrawn. So it's a liability. So that keeps a credit balance. All expenses keep debit balance. Prepaid of expenses debit balance. Now, when we say prepaid of expenses, what does that mean? It means you've paid more than what you're supposed to pay. So, for instance, if you're going to rent and you rent, uh, you've paid five years rent advance, and if you are just in the first year, then the four years becomes what? A prepaid. That is an asset to you, okay? So, has a debit balance. Very, very important. These things are very, very important. Then, expenses owing. 
if at the end of the year you have some expenses outstanding that you've not paid, then it's a liability to credit it. So trade payables, keep credit balance. You should know that by now. Right? Capital account keeps credit balance. Loan is a liability, keeps credit balance. Income owing, keeps debit balance. What is income owing? Income owing is, you are supposed to receive that income by the year end, but you have not received it yet. It's an asset, and it keeps a debit balance. Income prepaid, it's a liability. Keeps a credit balance. So if somebody is supposed to give you some money, so the rent example that I gave, all right? The landlord that you've paid the five years, the four years money, he is going to be seen as income prepaid because it's a liability. Okay? It's a liability. So there are other ones, there are other items. Discounts allowed. Let me add that. Hope you can see down there. I guess you can see down there. So discount allowed has a debit balance. Discount receive has a credit balance. At the end of the day, what we do is to balance the debit side and the credit side. The debit side must be equal to the credit side at the end of the day. Now, if at the end of the day we summarize the financial statement, sorry, the financial records into the trial balance, and we realize that it is not balancing, the debit side is not the same as the credit side, the difference will be taken into an account called suspense account. And we will do another topic later on called correction of errors and suspense accounts. Then you will see the value of the trial balance and that figure that I'm talking about. So you finish, the debit side is supposed to be equal to the credit side, but for some reason, that means there is er there are errors in the financial statement. Maybe the double entry that you did, there is a problem, you have overstated a figure, you've done a single entry statement, or you've done something that makes it not to be the same. So in that case, the difference will be taken into an account called the suspense account. What are we saying? We collect the information from source document, we record the information in day books, then we um, uh, classify them into ledgers, then we summarize them in the trial balance. So once we have summarized them in the trial balance, the next thing we do is to prepare and present the financial statement. Okay? So we prepare and we present the financial statement. So the fifth thing is preparation and presentation.
preparation and presentation. So the big question is this, how do we prepare financial statements? How do we prepare the financial statements? The financial statements are prepared using accounting concepts and conversions. So we prepare the financial statements, so using the accounting concepts and conversions. So what are the account, what are accounting concepts and what are accounting conversions? Accounting concepts are simply the principles, rules, concepts that underlie the preparation and presentation of financial statements. Accounting concepts are the principles, rules, or uh, 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 policies that underlie the preparation and presentation of financial statements. The accounting concepts are the principles, policies, and uh, rules that a company or an entity has adopted and used in the preparation and presentation of the financial statements. So the accounting concepts are broad. What is there available for businesses to use? Okay. The conversions are what an entity has adopted out of the number to be used in the preparation and presentation of the financial statements. So I've already made reference to some of these things. The first one is the business entity concept. The business entity concept is simply the states that, or is an accounting uh, concept which states that a business should be seen as the one separate from its owners, the shareholders, and that transactions rela relating to the owners should be separated from transactions relating to the business. Meaning, the business entity concept simply states that the business must be seen as a separate legal entity which can own assets in its own name, sued and be sued. It is from this accounting concept that we have something called drawings. That is why if a sole proprietor withdraws capital from the business or withdraws money from the business, it is referred to as drawings because that money that was withdrawn was not for a business purpose, so we treat it as drawings. Now, the significance of the business entity concept is that it helps in ascertaining the profit of the business as only the business expenses and revenue are recorded and all private and personal expenses are ignored. So all private personal expenses of the sole proprietorship business, they are ignored, but the business uh, uh, transactions, revenues, and costs are recorded. Second, this concept rest restrain accountants from recording of owners private or personal transaction. So that is it. That's the significance of it. Three, it also facilitates the recording and reporting of business transactions from the business point of view. And then the fourth thing is that 
it is the very basis of accounting concepts, conversions, and principle. So the basic, the basic is a business entity concept. So we see the business separate from its owners. Okay, so we see the business separate from its owners. That is what refers to as the business entity concept. The second accounting concept we can talk about is the going concern concept. Now the going concern concept simply states that a business must be seen as the one that is operating into the foreseeable future. That is transactions, uh, uh, yeah, trans uh, accounts, balances at the year end should not be closed but rather should be carried forward into the following accounting year. But when we talk about going concern concept, that is a business should be seen as operating into the foreseeable future, we are only talking about the business ability to operate in the next 12 months. That's the idea. So the next 12 months, that's all. That's all we are operating. So can the business operate or is the business able to operate in the next 12 months, do we have money available to operate? Are we meeting regulatory requirements to operate? If we cannot operate into the next foreseeable future, in the next 12 months, then we need to prepare the financial statement on a breakout basis. Remember, we are dealing with preparation and presentation of the financial statement. So if we take into consideration going concern concept, if the business can operate in the next 12 months, then we prepare the financial statement on a going concern status. If we cannot continue with business, then we prepare the financial statement on a breakup basis, meaning we are ending the business this very year. Now, the significance of the going concern concept is that it facilitates the preparation and presentation of financial statement, as I mentioned, so that if we know you can't be in business in the next 12 months, we break and then we prepare the financial statement on a breakup basis. But if we know you can operate, then the balances there, we don't end them, we carry them into the next accounting year. On the basis of this concept, depreciation is charged on the fixed assets. So because of going concern status, we will charge depreciation on assets. And as I mentioned, we will do accounting for depreciation later on. It is a great help to the investors because it assures them that they will continue to get income on their investment. So that is also one significant of it. In the absence of this concept, the cost of a fixed asset will be treated as an expenses in the year of its purchase. What it means is that because the year is ending, we'll be writing off the assets. And so when we buy the assets uh, this year, we'll just take it as expenses because we are just liquidating the business or preparing the accounts on a breakup basis. Then a business is judged for its capacity to earn profits in the future. So it enables us to judge if the business can operate in the next foreseeable future and also earn some profit in the next foreseeable future. So that is what we mean by the accounting concepts. The next one is called the prudence or the conservative concept. Now the prudence or the conservative concept simply says that the accountant is prohibited from making provision for future profits, but is mandated to make provision for future losses. The accountant is prohibited from making 
provision for future losses, but it's mandated to make provision for future profits. So, did, what did I just say? Let me take that again. The accountant is prohibited, all right, from making provision for future profits, but it's mandated to make provision for future losses right so it is from this accounting concept that we do what we call provision for bad debt provision for depreciation provision for discount allowed okay so what we're saying here is that any losses that we expect to incur in the future we can make provision for it we have to make provision for it today but when we are preparing the financial statement we cannot say eh, next year we will make a profit of 50,000, so we will include it in this year's financial statement. No, we don't do that. That is what we mean by the prudence or the conservative concepts. The fourth thing we can talk about is the matching and accrual concepts. Now, the matching concept simply states that Income or revenue and expenditure relating to the accounting period under discussion should be matched together in order not to overstate or understate profit. That is the matching concept. So all the revenue pertaining to this year, we treat it and all the expenses. So we match all the revenue and expenses in order not to overstate or understate profit. But in addition to matching this thing together, we need to take care of accruals. Accruals has to do with... Uh, We've made sales, but we have not uh, uh, received money. We've, pay, uh, we've undertaken or we've received service or goods, but we've not paid for them yet. So that is the accrual concept that even though the transaction hasn't taken place, sorry, even though we've not paid money, the transaction has taken place. So we need to recognize it in our book. So when we are preparing financial statement, we need to use the matching and accrual concept, which simply means that we recognize transaction not when the cash is paid, but when the transaction actually takes place. So that is what you have to understand about the matching and accrual concept. This is a fundamental accounting standard A, fundamental accounting concept when we are preparing financial statement. The going concern and then the matching and accrual concept. The next concept you want to talk about is the money measurement concept. This concept simply assumes that all business transactions must be in terms of money. That is, the currency of a country. So, we can't record anything that is not in monetary terms. So, for financial accountants or for accountants, we record only things that are in monetary terms. So, if it has a monetary value, then we record it. That is what we refer to as the money measurement concept. Then the next accounting standard that we can talk about is the duality concept. Why am I using the word accounting standard? I don't even know. Duality concept.